Is this mic turned on? Wax poetic. Hi, kids. I'm a dinosaur hunter BMX rider. All the little girls dream of one day biting into a corn dog and smiling at the camera. If I ran the web, you could email dead people. Wax poetic. And I don't give a moment's focus to who does or doesn't like the sound of my voice. In the terrarium is herpes. Herpes is a hermit crab. Just say no to family values. This is is Wax Poetic on Co-op Radio, CFRO 100.5 FM. So what if I write a poem like a song? Good afternoon and welcome to Wax Poetic. I am your host today, Pamela Bentley. Usually it would be saying I am one of your hosts, but RC is away on vacation so it's just me and our guest, Carolyn Smart. Hello. All the way from the east. Yes. Toronto proper? No, no. North of Kingston. I'm, oh. I'm a country girl. Well, I started saying Toronto and then I thought, no, I don't want to make that assumption. Mm-mm. No. So we, as we usually do, we're going to get you to start off with a poem and then we'll talk about, uh, talk about that and other things afterwards. Excellent. Uh, this poem um, is... Uh, Kind of an introduction to Clyde Barrow and Bonnie Parker, who are the central figures of this uh, collection of poetry. It's called Clyde at Buster's Party, and it describes the night that they met each other for the first time. Clarence brought me, and I was looking round when she walked in. The air itself just turned to something new. Blonde hair flying, firecracker eyes exploring everything. And when she seen me, her face, it just blossomed with clear intentions. I couldn't let the chance pass. Stretched out my hand, stood close, brought her next to the window so I could show her which was my fancy ride. (laughs) Talk going on around us, her blue eyes steady, hair full of light streaming in from the porch. After I kissed her, she gave a little smile and crashed near flat again me when I held her. She no taller than a pony. Thought I could have picked her up and run. Heard she had a husband in the joint. She said it weren't real. She was quick as a hiccup, bored in school. What to do in a hole like Cement City when you're hurting for more and nothing ever happens? Never saw another want the same so fierce to drive and be alive the way we could if we had chances and the world ran right. Almost everything in that book, which I just read recently, so it's fresh in my mind, um, is in that poem. Kinda, yeah. Because yeah. now, after I've read the whole thing, then like that's I think the third or something poem in the in the piece. It's early on, yeah. yeah. So it's got the cars, his mm-hmm. fascination with mm-hmm. the cars, mm-hmm. and the relationship between them, and yeah. like what his attitude was, and then also the way it's written. There's a little bit like you can see the dialect on the page, but you can really hear it when you're reading. It was hard to write, and it was the first time I've ever written in dialect, so it was a huge leap for me. And it's still, I mean, the more I read from it, the more comfortable I am with dropping the G's, which isn't my my general kind of tendency. I was raised in England kind of formally, so this is like a real big break for me. Mm -hmm. But um, I really enjoyed writing in dialect. Um, Did you... How did so? This is the Bonnie and Clyde for anybody who was not doesn't recognize Clyde Barrow and uh, Bonnie Bonnie Parker's names. What? Why this? What brought you to this? And and how did this whole book show up? 
Well, for the past couple of decades, to be honest, I've been writing um, material that kind of unearths the real truth behind stories that we've oh, learned okay. about all our lives. And um, many of pe- you know, the people my age uh, were familiar with the film made in 1967 about Bonnie and Clyde starring Warren Beatty and Faye Dunaway as really good-looking, beautiful, somewhat romanticized figures. But the only truth in that movie was that they died in a hail of bullets. So um, I, I read a biography that revealed that they were both physically handicapped and starved and lived in their car, and I thought that is a much more interesting story, and that's the one I'd like to tell. And also, uh, in my own personal background, my maternal grandfather uh, lived out his last years in Texas and died in Laredo, Texas, uh, poverty-stricken. So I often wondered whether, and in fact, had been a failed gun runner. And so for many reasons, I thought he was kind of linked in my head with Clyde Barrow, and maybe he'd seen them drive by once upon a time. Right, right. Um, yeah, the, the, Texas is a big place. Yeah. I have relatives that live in Texas. My mm. father's from Texas. So Wow. He's not a gun runner or was nothing like Bonnie and Clyde. But, uh, oh, that's good. Probably good. Yeah, I don't good. think he was never in a horse and probably, well, maybe he drove cars too fast when he was younger, but that was before I knew him, right? So. <laughs> <laughs> he, he makes allusions to his uh, wild 20s every once in a while. But the the place also, like the fact that, and then they're mentioning other, in the book, they're, they they mention other people. They mention um, other gangsters, right? Mm-hmm, they mention mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. Billy the Kid. Mm-hmm. And I, I, there's poems in there written by Bonnie Parker. And there's mention of her rhymes mm-hmm. um, in the story of how they're living in their car with, yeah. with his brother and the other girlfriend yeah. as well. Mm-hmm. Um, Blanche. Um, did she actually write poetry? Bonnie, for sure she did, and they're, they're online. You can look them up. They're there. So she herself wasn't killing people or firing the guns. Her job was to uh, sort of clean and load the guns and watch when they were sleeping in the evening. And when she was bored, she'd be sitting in the back seat with a Remington typewriter typing her poems. She wanted to be a famous writer. She wanted to be typing famous. Typing her poems in the back of a car. Yeah. Not just writing. No, no, typing them. Yeah. She wanted to be a famous writer. Yes, she did. She wanted to be famous. In one way or another, she wanted to be a famous film star, or she wanted to be a famous poet. And then she became a famous gun mall. Yeah. The poem right before that one is kind of about her life, right? The one yes. before the one that yeah. you read? Yeah, yeah. Uh, about so that we kind of understand why she would want to get away from it, right? Was that one of the ones that you were going to read, maybe? Or? Um, I was. I'll just have to find that one now. It's, um, it's the one, like, I think right before it, isn't it? I think it's around there somewhere, but yeah. it's about... Um, because we sort of get her placed, and then the party happens, and they meet, right? That's exactly right, yeah. So here we have it. Hard Scrabble, Sweet-Mouthed Girl. I was better than the rest from the minute I was born. Hmm. My daddy was a bricklayer in the midst of sodbusters. I was the most beautiful of babies. Eyes blue as Texas sky, and a mind could glean anything. In Sunday school, when I was a toddler, I sang my heart out for the crowd. They wanted hymns. I tossed out, he's a devil in his own hometown. (laughs) It rang right through those shaky old pews. All I wanted was fame, to get away from the dreariness. But Daddy died when I was small and Mama cried all day. We lived in hell or cement city, and school was all I had. Won every prize for writing and for my speech and spelling. Loved a sweet-talk boy named Roy and married before I turned 16. We set up house two blocks from my own mama, but that was still too far, and every night I cried. 
Handsome Roy was just a thief. He left me for the road, then the jailhouse. I went to serve in food and drink at Marco's, then the other spot downtown right near the courthouse. Shoot, those days were fine, till hard times hit and all those cafes shut. I wanted love. I wanted things like in the talkies, yearned for big excitement. Not much else to do but drink and dance. But one sweet night, I headed for my brother Buster's house. His party changed my life forever. Wow. There's a couple of things in there I wanted to ask about. One is that do you think, well, let's ask the specifics first. Um, the, the portrait that you're making of her, is that from the biographies you read? Or is that you imagining what it would have been like to be that hard, scrabble, blue-eyed girl who did so well in school? I think it's a combination of, of, of those both, both of those things. And, and the biography was very revealing, but I think in order to really capture the voice, the, the things that I read that, that brought the voices home to me were the two first-person reportage pieces that exist. One was written, well, it was actually a, a, um, an interview because he was illiterate with a teenage uh, boy who rode with the gang. And, and Playboy interviewed him in the 60s, and he told the story, and that's still available online. W.D. Jones's tale. And then, um, <clears throat> excuse me, then the other one was, in fact, Blanche Barrow, who was the total innocent who got caught up in the whole ride, married to Buck Barrow, who was much more of a hard-ass killer, actually, than Clyde. And uh, Blanche got caught up, but when she went to jail for 15 years, she took the time to write her memoir, which was published after her death, and it's her story that is very revealing of the whole sort of um, experience. And the voices themselves came clear to me from that. Yeah, because a lot of it's written in her voice and in Clyde's voice, a little bit in, in Buck's in voice, Buck's but voice, yeah. lots in Clyde and yeah. Bonnie and, and W.D. That's J- right. is in yeah. there as mm-hmm. well. And there's a couple of other yeah, characters as well. 13 voices in total, including the car. It's almost like a play. <laughs> it could very easily be a play. It could be, yeah. That'd be great, actually. My previous book, which was seven long um, monologues, has become a, a theater piece, in fact, and, and has put on here and on the stage. And What's it called? It's called Hooked. And uh, it's, in fact, going to Stratford this summer for a week. Wow. Yeah. So, oh, was, so then it's not as big of a stretch. So you're writing these dramatic monologues, Exactly, really. yeah. So why not write dramatic monologues and not poetry? Why poems? Why not a biography or a novel hmm. or a, another? Like, why this form to give these people voices? I think I'm drawn to the language itself, the use of language. And, and poetry for me has always been, it, it's so broad, it encompasses anything. You can do anything with poetry. It has no rules. So uh, for me, that's what draws me to it, the sort of excitement of the language and, and the fact that you can kind of form it for whatever purpose you need. Right. Yeah. Um, the other question I was going to ask you that came to mind when you were reading the one by, about Bonnie, by Bonnie, um, is um, do you see a parallel between that like kind of desire for fame and her wanting to be bigger than that small town and somehow she was going to do it. She was either going to write her way out or sing her way out or become a, you know, love her way out or whatever. Do you see a parallel between like the kind of reality TV and that sort of lust for fame that some people have, not only young people, but there is that kind of like, we didn't have... We, we wouldn't have had that in Bonnie's time or even in my time when I was a girl. What do you want to be when you grow up? A reality TV star? I'm sure people actually say that now. Oh, I think they probably do, as a matter of fact. I think that's why their story has lasted as long as it has, even aside from the fact that they were two 
criminals, you know, together in, in, in this um, crazy careening run they went on. But it's also the fact that they seem to have embodied, particularly Bonnie in a certain way, the kind of desire to, to do something, you know, desperate with life uh, that a lot of people feel these days as well yeah, and have somebody. felt for years. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah. And being famous, they think that's the way to do it. That's right. Mm-hmm. I read just recently somewhere about the, di- the, I don't want to be famous, I want to be well known. And I really liked that difference. Mm-hmm. To be known, to be familiar, to be like known for yourself rather than, because when you're famous, you're not always known for yourself. No, for you're sure. You're known for the role you're playing. That's you're, right. The, you become the mall. Exactly. And you, you, you address that as well. In the- That's right. Well, they were, in fact, they, at one point, they became, fa- they were made famous by the press because they left behind some photographs um, when they had to leave a kind of hideout all too fast. They left everything behind. And uh, one of the things that they left behind was this series of photographs that they'd done just for fun when they kind of dressed up and re- play acting. Oh. But people believed that this was actually the truth, that they dressed like that and they were holding guns on each other and, you know, acting crazy. But uh, that's the press picked that up and people just ran with it. They thought it was the most exciting thing that could possibly happen. And then the press turned on them about a year and a half later when um, when uh, they they published a story that Bonnie had repeatedly shot a man who was lying dead on the ground, and his widow turned up at the funeral in her bridal clothes, and that was all over the press. So at that point, the the public turned against them. So they were made and broken by the press within two and a half years. And she didn't actually do that. No, she didn't. She and never fired a gun. Confessed to exactly. Yeah. yeah. Later. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Not at the time. No. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um. I want you to read some more. Okay. Um, while you do that, I'll just say that you're listening to Vancouver Co-op Radio, CFRO 100.5 FM. Our guest today on Wax Poetic is Carolyn Smart. I'd like to read a poem that, um, for me, reveals uh, the times in more ways than one, and this is the kind of entire history of the state of Texas. Texas, 1930 starved us off the fields and deafened us with the sawing of insects, the anger and the pungent need. The canyons, the gulf plains, the coast, the lowlands, the hill country, the basin, the range. What do they ask of us now that the soil offers nothing? Hear the thin, distant whisper of the tribes, the mound builders, Pueblo, Apache, Hassane, Comanche, the high singing of the Spaniards, the Mexicans, bleached bones along the Rio Grande, the dust of Sam Houston, the skull of Zachary Taylor, the fallen at the sieges, the dead and dying all across the plains. Wander the land at night and hear the screech owl lament, crying our history, our sad empty fields, how they speak this American shame, this endless churning landscape of our fathers who have lost most all they hold dear. Come to the cities in your wagons, on foot, with your mules, your women, your mangy, puling children. Cobble whatever shelter you may, tell the old tales, mouth the history, taste the dust upon your tongue. Take flight from one border to another, just keep on in the thermal lift and yearn. There are markers of the rivers east and west, Pecos, Rio Grande, Brazos, Colorado, red, and still we thirst. 
and the black oil gushing out and out of the spindle tops, and the strangers who come to town, electric chairs in the back rooms, and men who throw the switch, and the prison farms with lean and beaten men running before the riders with their guns. The miles covered in cars going nowhere but away from here, then turning back and back again to the same old gutted roads with faces that stare at you like death is joyriding in the back seat. And the blacks all picked up and went somewhere else when the storms blew in. There was nothing left behind but the weevil and our gaunt faces peeping out at nothing. Now the women's work is over, they lie on pallets, the lack is another part of breathing, and the taste of charity in their mouths, and their breasts hanging like pockets of despair. And who remembers now the hurricanes in Indianola and Galveston, again in Galveston, and the many thousands who died there, clutching the Bible to their acquiescent hearts? We walk the streets, line the curbs, forage in the news, lean bewildered against brick-warm walls, outrage pooling in our eyes. When will it come, justice and respect? When? Into the long white ribbon of road, the future careens away. Wow. Talking about language and your love for the language... You, um, I mean, not that I've been there in the 30s, but you captured Texas. I've spent a lot of time in Texas, not by choice, (laughs) but I have to go visit my family, you know. So, um, yeah, you really, yeah, that's what it feels like. Wow, that's so good. I've never been there. I was going to ask you if you've ever been there. (laughs) And And when you have the history of a place or the feeling of a place, so the people who are there now who have always, whose families have always lived there, or have, have lived there for hundreds of years, or who have always lived there, you know, you name all the tribes as well. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, they have that history, right? So when we see Texans and we think they're kind of laughable in a way, they come from that history. Mm-hmm. They come from that, that desperation of the 1930s. Yeah. It's still there in their background, right? Like that's, that's right. part of their... Mm-hmm. Their makeup of their their ancestors, mm-hmm. you know, like, yeah. <clears throat> and the Barrow family, Clyde's family, were so desperately poor. They were yeah. sharecroppers. They had nothing. They they live uh, when they moved to town. They live for about nine months underneath a wagon and were fed once a day by the Red Cross. Wow. Yeah, they didn't even notice that the the depression came around because they were already they poor. were just like desperate. Yeah. I I noticed a couple of times he says that he hides out under houses. Yes. Must have felt familiar yeah. to him. I guess so. Yeah. Yeah. So this is, you've mentioned Hooked and you've mentioned Kareen. Do you have other books of poetry? That- yes, this is um, my sixth collection. And I also have a, a memoir that I wrote um, of my childhood about mm, 15 years ago, I guess. And you teach in Kingston, is that correct? I do. I teach at Queen's. I teach creative writing at Queen's. Yeah. Again, the love of language. Yes. Um, and you were also instrumental in uh, setting up the Emerging Writing. The Brahman Wallace Award for Emerging Writers. That's exactly right. She was um, uh, my dearest friend, and she died um, 25 years ago of a 
terrible, swift cancer. And, and I couldn't uh, actually accept the fact that she was gone from my life. So one mm. of the things I really wanted to do was to hold her as close to me as possible by naming an award for her. And it took several years to raise the money for it. And then um, it was uh, a first, the first award was given to Michael Crummy, who no one had known was a writer until he sort of came out when he won this award. And over the years, it's uh, just broken many, many people's careers wide open. It's been pretty darned exciting. And then uh, the Royal Bank of Canada picked it up some years ago. And, and money talks. So now that it's worth more money, it's, uh, it has a, a higher sort of uh, attraction. And many, many people are sending in uh, this year. It's short fiction. So if you go to a website uh, for the Writers' Trust of Canada, you'll see all the details there for submission. You must be a... A uh, person under the age of 35, because that was the age at which Bronwyn began to publish, and we wanted to encourage younger people to, um, you know, have some success earlier mm-hmm. on in life. So you have to be under 35, unpublished in book form, and you must have published something in in some magazine or somewhere not edited by you. And um, so this year it's short fiction. So <laughs> okay. look up the numbers and send in your work. And are you still involved with the selection? And I select the jury. That's that's what I do. Okay. And I go to the award and I get to call the winner, which is terribly exciting. Yeah, <laughs> especially because of the reasons you set it up, the story behind exactly. it. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, what are you doing in Vancouver? Did you just come for a visit? or I'm here for, for some readings and, of course, for this radio show. Oh, so there uh, you go. <laughs> tonight I'm going to be keys. reading um, for the Twisted Poets reading series, which is uh, my first uh, um, introduction to them. There's a great open mic and four readers in total tonight. So, um, oh, there's four readers tonight. Yeah. Usually there's two. So there's you and Amber Dawn. Do you know who the others are? I'll just uh, let this up. I'm so. terrible with names. I'll um, tell you the truth. Shannon Rain is also reading, and Lucas Crawford. Shannon Rain is in the UBC uh, writers writing program right now, and I know the name Lucas Crawford, but I can't place it. Um, so there'll be four readers tonight, and that is, of course, run by Pandora's Collective. It's at Cottage Bistro, seven o'clock. They usually start right on time. So if you want to read at the open mic, particularly because there's a smaller number of places this afternoon it says lucas crawford is the author of sideshow concessions which won the 2015 robert croach award for innovative poetry and of transgender architectonics a book of scholarly essays and then lists all the places that their uh poetry has appeared and as i said shannon rain is in the mfa in creative writing and amber dawn we've had her on a guest on the show she um her poet how poetry saved my life a hustler's memoir won the 2013 vancouver book award and she also uh wrote the novel sub rosa and her latest book is um, where my body ends and the words begin which is a book of glosses that she came in and shared some some poems for us and Carolyn Smart and you're going to be reading from Kareen yes I am who published Kareen Brick Books and where can people get a copy of it besides the reading tonight that well I think uh, I hate to mention the devil Amazon but there's always Amazon and your favorite local bookshop okay and from the publisher itself okay great and let's hear another poem all right Um, I'd like to read perhaps uh, one of the later ones. This is uh, from Bonnie's point of view, uh, one of the last poems in the collection, Camera Eye. Look in the mirror and look in the mirror and think of the times I thought myself beautiful. All the looks that came my way from strangers, clothing that feels more like tatters than fresh laundered crepe, for a bed to sleep in, a proper cooked meal, 
Time for conversation, a few rolling laughs, someone saying something that takes me back to maybe Dallas or some other town. Train whistles or dark birds flying, the rise of the breath, suddenly the loose heart. To drive, load, clean, there are more lives in this plain desperation. Look at the sandwich boards, think of the lives, the faces and hands that promised action in the coat room at the end of a party, the looks on the faces of those on the sidewalks, the dirt roads, the car windows, anyone passing. The evening he looked at me eager and avid for a breakout. The first time I drove with him, I puked right on my dress from the joy of speed. Yes, I said, let's just have everything. Suddenly tired, convinced it comes soon, I faltered just briefly. And all the time in a purse I hid at his mama's house, the note he wrote calling me the sweetest thing in all the world. Do you think it's possible to have everything? I'm trying to can- channel RC now because this is the kind of thing he would ask. Oh, my goodness. Question that He asks these great questions from the sideways. <laughs> you know, I, I don't. I think that someone who wants everything will never be satisfied. I think there's always the next thing to want. And do you think that's what happened to Bonnie and Clyde? Oh, I'm sure of it. Yeah, I, I, I think by the end, I think they wanted a little peace and quiet. But they were both in real pain towards the end. He carried her in his arms for the last six months of her life. And I think they were they were tired and they were ready to go by the time they did. He carried her in her arm, mm-hmm. his arms. Mm-hmm. I know that he... He flipped the car... One oh, night right. on a bridge, and she was stuck underneath the dripping battery. That's right. And she was burned from her knee to her ankle to the bone by battery acid. Wow. So, um, and of course, they never went to a doctor. So, uh, you know, her leg drew up beneath her, and he carried her around. So it's not the romantic picture that we it's, see of Bonnie No, and quite the opposite. Yeah. And is that what, because you said that you, your books investigate things that mm-hmm, we know mm-hmm, the stories of, mm-hmm. or that we think we know the stories of. There's a lot of those things out there. You oh, yeah. Still picked Bonnie and Clyde. Was it because the, of that? It was. Of, that it, I was fascinated by by them, by their youth, by their um, by their desire. You know, just just and and the unrevealed truth was really the the thing that drew me to it in the long run. Yeah, the cars. Oh yes, that's the other thing. Of course, huge. I love to drive cars. I was way too you, fast. I was going to ask yeah. you if you were yeah. a fast car driver. Oh, if you I like am. to careen. Oh yes, I love to drive. So for me, that was a big uh, part of it. And I also managed two wonderful car rides during the time that I was writing the book. One was in the actual kind of car that Clyde enjoyed stealing the most because it was the fastest car on the road. It was faster than the cop cars, which was Henry Ford's great invention, a uh, terribly, inc- incredibly fast car, the the, um, the flathead Ford V8. That, tremendous exciting. So I drove in, a, in an excellent one that's been kept up for use in the movies, and that was huge fun. I wasn't driving it. The owner was driving it, but I was in the front seat with him, and he was driving really fast, and it was great. And then Dan Aykroyd took me for a ride. He's a he lives in where I live actually in Eastern Ontario. That's the Dan Aykroyd. The Dan Aykroyd. Okay. Not the just Dan somebody Aykroyd. with the same name. No, no. The Dan Aykroyd has some very fancy cars, as you probably won't be surprised to hear. And he took me for a ride in one of his cars, which was the car that J. Edgar Hoover would have been driving around in, chauffeured around in, thinking about trying to capture Bonnie and Clyde, and that was pretty darned exciting too. Because this that's the car culture. 
of the time plays such a huge role. Yeah. I mean, it's the, the yeah. romance of that and Clyde's, well, it's in both those first poems that you read when he mm-hmm. talks about like... Uh, his fancy he, ride. Yeah, like yeah. he takes her to the window oh, so yeah. he can see his fancy yeah, ride. That's right. Yeah, I think he, he loved the cars and he was also an excellent driver and he would drive for about a thousand miles at a stretch if he knew the cops were after them. And they'd only stop to fill up with gas or change the tire if it went flat. And Bonnie would be sitting in the back typing. Wow. <laughs> Wow. Um, our guest today has been Carolyn Smart reading poems from her book, Corrine, one of many books of poetry she has. You can catch her tonight at the Cottage Bistro um, for Pandora's Collective's Twisted Poets Literary Salon. There are also some other events um, tonight. Uh, there is the Dewey Decibel Youth Poetry Slam, which is free down at the Vancouver Public Library. It starts at 530 and beforehand, there will be a workshop, and the person doing the workshop today is Dana I.D. Matthews. So he'll do a little set and a workshop, and then there will be the Youth Poetry Slam. Um, February Locution with Shaleen Knight is on tonight. That, I believe, is the Locution. They never quite, I think it's the SFU um programs reading series uh they never say exactly in there but i know the people who post it seem to be everybody who reads there seems to be from the sfu program so i'm pretty sure that's where that comes from and let's see what else is going on this weekend um do you know about any events how long are you in town for carolyn i'm here till friday at which point i take the ferry over to victoria and i'm reading for planet earth poetry in victoria on friday night Oh, okay. So you were you when you said you're coming for readings. So there mm-hmm. there are some people who listen on the island. So I should say February locution is tomorrow night. That is also when Spoken Ink is out in. Um, uh, there's a Spoken Ink program or event as well. But I'm going to stop there because we're out of time, and it's been lovely to have you as a guest, Carolyn. Thank you, Pam. It's been fantastic being here. I'm looking forward to uh, hearing more poems without all my questions in between tonight. Mm-hmm. And um, No Apologies Necessary is coming up next. I'm Pam Bentley. R.C. Wislowski will be back with us next week when our guest will be Ellie Crouchy Gardner. You've been listening to Wax Poetic on Co-op Radio, CFRO 100.5 FM. So what? So what? So what? So what?